Welcome to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast presented by Dean Duplessis. We bring you up to date with all the ongoing fixtures domestically and on the international scene. We profile players, both current and former, and tell you all you need to know in the world of cricket. Hello and welcome to the Dean Nutstones podcast with me, Dean Duplessis. Great to have you back again. And if you are listening for the first time, maybe through a friend of a friend and you'd like to subscribe, you are very welcome to do so. Uh, you just simply look for the Dean at Stumps podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or any of your preferred podcast apps, and uh, you can subscribe and, and have a listen to some fantastic interviews. And uh, the one that uh, we're going to be doing today, or the one that I'm going to be playing you very shortly, is with uh, undoubtedly Zimbabwe's most talented cricketer. There is no doubt that he was the m- most talented cricketer that Zimbabwe had ever produced. Unfortunately, many people feel that uh, he never consistently performed to his full potential. I'm, of course, referring to Andy Blachnot. Arnoldus Mauritius Blachnot. What a nice name to say. It's been a while, my friend. You've been a very, very busy boy, or maybe should we say you've matured a great deal. What have you been up to of late? Dina, yes, uh, it's been a, it's been a while, um, and obviously, as we know, life uh, carries on and and changes corners, and you and you carry on with it. So, um, of late, uh, what we can say is that obviously, from being a player, um, I then uh, went into the coaching world, mm-hmm. um, really, and uh, I spent a four or five years um, coaching at uh, Peterhouse, which was a a very good experience for me because um, as a player you have only one point of view and once you start coaching you realize why some coaches perhaps I drove them to drink. Mm -hmm. Yeah and uh, that's quite fascinating and I suppose now changing from the role of player to coach as you rightly say you, you now uh, there's a, there's a better and a and a more mature grasp that you would have had as to why people at times become became so infuriated with with you because of this incredible talent that you had we'll talk more about about your playing career in a bit but um did you enjoy working with the youngsters and and see how they progressed as well Yes, you know, um, I think uh, I, I found out um, that I was very competitive um, and therefore wanted to win as many games as possible. But I mean, there's, there's obviously more to it than just winning. Um, really, the nurturing of, of children or talent and trying to get the best out of it was probably the competition that was really inside of me. Um, but yes, it was very interesting. I really enjoyed it and I continue to enjoy it. Um, I mean, our, our days are done. So the next best thing you can do is, uh, is give back in, in some form. Of course, you have a family of your own now. It's just amazing how time progresses. But your boys had a, had a good time of it as well. Didn't they go on tour recently? Yes, uh, they, they were in the Zim Under 15 team. And, and then they, they did go, they went on tour to, to Joburg, to South Africa um, in the past, uh, in August. 
Okay. And is there, uh, are there similarities to you in how they go about their business? Very competitive. Are we going to have another potential all-rounder? Uh, it's a very interesting question. I think they've actually, to be honest, they've probably made a name for themselves since since they were in junior school. So um, they've done well. And basically, I have one uh, leg spinner who opens the batting, and then I had one off spinner who bats about middle order, about four or so. But these are young boys; anything mm. can happen. Yeah. Um, but they are doing uh, they're doing very well. Have you noticed, it's quite amazing how a lot of fast bowlers, I, and Travis Friend springs to mind, start off as leg spinners and then develop into fast bowlers. Why, why is that, do you think? It's a good question. Um, for myself, I always bowled, uh, I was always a, a fast bowler throughout my whole life till Form 4, yeah. and I was actually a very small uh, human being. Really? Uh, so in Form 4, the doctors kind of advised me not to bowl fast. So I was then at Eaglesvale with Dirk Valud and Gary Brent and the Matamba Nadza brothers. And I was their leg spinner when I was in Form 4 in the first team. So I bowled leg spin Form 4 and then in lower six I started to grow. So I, I bowled leg spin and uh, opened the bowling and I did that for the rest of high school. So I could do a bit of both. I even, funny enough, have a few overs in Zim A as a leg spinner. So many things happen. Um, but I would say... Uh, the human body changes a lot. So what you find is some children may have been small and not very powerful, and then as they mature and get bigger with newfound strength and speed, then a combination can work for some, not for all. Mm. Uh, is it also something to do with the fact that um, if you're bowling leg spin, you know, obviously um, you, there is a, quite a bit of snap in your wrist, isn't there, um, as opposed to the finger spinner? And so that can that also then develop into you as you get bigger and stronger uh, than being able to bowl quite quickly as well? Um, I'm not sure about that because mm. I would say that the fundamentals for the fast bowling would be more to do with athletic ability yeah. than the wrist snap. So so I think, but, but leg spin is not something you just do. It's got to come naturally to you. It's a very hard art. But um, some people... Uh, can transition, you know, uh, Travis Friend, like you say, I mean, you bowled leg spin, and, and but you'd have to have it inside of him with the fast twitch muscles and the athleticness, etc., and able to change. And he did have that, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah. Indeed, he, he had um, he, he had occasions where Travis would, would definitely put a bit of uh, concern into the batsman's mind. <laughs> yeah, he was quick, but so are you, Blitch, so were you. Let me tell you, and uh, I remember your debut, your first class debut back in 1997 at Harare South. And um, I actually remember that you got the wicket of Andy Flower before, well, he had made 190 odd. And he was caught, Gary Duplessis bowled Andy Blachnot. Gary Duplessis standing at fine leg. I wonder if you remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, not too much, but I do remember, I do remember surprising a few people I suppose yeah. Um, and yeah it was always great um, I love the I love the underdog I love the unknown person doing well yeah and uh, you certainly did go on to to do great things so let's talk a bit about some of your more memorable occasions if you were to think quickly now off the top of your head what would you say or which test matches were you would you say 
would be the ones that, that spring to mind and, you know, that you'll remember for the rest of your life? Oh, you know, it's, um, okay, just off the top of my head, I remember um, being, a, 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 I got the Man of the Match Award, a test match against India, the Rari Sports Club. Yeah. Um, you know, where I did, um, contributed uh, with both. Um, and those games kind of stand out because you're playing the best. And, uh, you know, when you got the top order, India had, you know, the Tendulkas, the Dravids, the Laxmans. I mean, they normally bat to about 10, but uh, <laughs> to Ganguly, etc. But to to take those wickets, um, I think I took five or six you for did. that game. Yeah, you got a fifer. So, Scored some runs. Yeah, so so to do that is, is you know, it's, it's just nice because you kind of um, makes you realize that you can compete. Um, yeah. yeah. That was a good test match, Blitch, because also I, I remember both you and he Streak saying, Streak talking as the captain and you when you were interviewed as man of the match, and you both said that you, that the team um, dedicated that test match in the honour of Trevor Madondo, who very sadly passed away. Um, and, and that it was, it was so fitting, wasn't it? You lose this incredible talent, but you were able to put a smile on someone's face by winning a test match and then getting the man of the match award as well. Yes, indeed. You know, these things happen in life. And um, Trevor Madundo was definitely an outstanding talent. Um, I mean, he was obviously in our age all the way from Lafordia. I used to play against him when I was a Rizawi boy. Um, and he was always uh, talented, but not just cricket. I mean, he was talented in all the other sports as well. And it was very sad, obviously, um, to hear of Trevor's passing. Um, but he was an incredible talent. And I, and I found myself sort of, how can I say, um, whenever we'd go on tour, I probably was the one person that was as roomy the most at that point in time. Because mm -hmm. in those days, we did share rooms. And um, that was all before the whole match-fixing sagas probably came out. But So I actually spent quite a bit of time with old Trevor. Um, and uh, it was very interesting. <laughs> he was... Um, Perhaps, uh, perhaps we were similar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think there were similarities. You're right because I mean both very happy-go-lucky, um, but you also weren't afraid to stand up for yourselves. You know, and and uh, a lot of things I, I know that um, you two did were were very similar. It's very that's, a, that's actually a very good point that you make. I'm going to remind you of a test match that you had a big part to play. Zimbabwe sadly were not able to. Well, the West Indies dodged the bullet and were able to cling on for a draw. But that spell of bowling to Ridley Jacobs on the fifth day where you, uh, on a couple of occasions, passed 150 kilometer an hour mark, would, would that be something that you remember with a great deal of fondness as well? Yes, definitely. Um, you know, I'd done something different a little bit in that, in that match. Um, I think, you know, I, I've always been kind of, uh, to be honest, uh, obsessed with a bit of speed, trying to get the ball up there. Um, and for various reasons, it doesn't work sometimes, and it does for others. But yes, I, I think uh, I think on the replays or whatever, I did see one ball touch on 154, yeah. which was which was it was nice. It was even nicer when I could hear the thud of the ball into his ribs, <laughs> and then his groan and, and collapse. Hand. Yeah, so that was quite that was quite nice. Yeah, Ridley spoke to me about. I mean, he was a tough character, you know, built like a, a cruiserweight boxer, Ridley. And uh, he just said to me, the one that hit me, the one in the ribs, that was painful. But he said the one that hit him on the hand, that that was the one that really tickled him up, you know. And um, briefly, he wasn't sure if he was going to be available for the the next test in Bulawayo. He was, and of course, 
the West Indies won that one because uh, Omari Banks, the left-arm spinner, had a very big part to play in the second innings. But, I mean, it was just one of those test matches where everything went well for you. You bowled well. You were involved in a partnership of 169 with Heath Streak. Very disappointing for you to not get your 100. Amazingly, your, your highest score of 92 on both occasions was against the West Indies. First time in 2001 at Harare Sports Club, and then two years later, you repeated that again. Both occasions not being able to, to get those test 100. That must have infuriated you that, you know, you weren't able to convert your six test 50s into 100. Yes, um, in hindsight, which is where we live now, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's much easier. But, um, and I can see how, how people need to learn to score hundreds. You know, it, it, it comes from a bit of work. And it comes from also making good decisions, I guess. And uh, on those occasions, I think I uh, probably got caught up in the moment because it wasn't often I got to 90. Mm. Uh, I think I had a, a number of 50s and, and obviously but in the different formats of the game. But, you know, you get to those 90s and you're probably trying to get to the 100 too quickly. So you probably make some poor decisions, which is probably what happened. And, and therefore... Yeah, a little bit, um, a little bit disappointing, but uh, it is what it is, you know. And uh, I accept that, and I, and like I said, now where it is is, I try and teach other people to, to not do what I did. Yeah, that's, that's very admirable. Um, I want to talk about the two thousand and three World Cup, which was incredible. You had a very good time of it. I mean, obviously, the the you burst onto the scene, and a lot of people s sat up and took note of you in that innings of. Uh, 60-odd against Australia at Queen Sports Club in Bulawayo. I mean, that was just electrifying the way you took on Brad Hogg and Jason Gillespie. And then you yourself were out to an outrageous court and bowl by Brett Lee. That was the only way he was going to get you out. But tell me what it was like approaching, you know, walking out to the crease. Zimbabwe in a spot of bother, you could very easily have just decided to rather try and be safe and bat out the 50 overs. You didn't. You took a very aggressive approach, which still lost the game. Um, but, but you know, they, you know, I mean, you got the Man of the Match award. Tell us about that innings. How much do you remember of it? Yes, that was certainly um, one of the sort of highlights, I suppose, of, of my career was, uh, was that, I mean, I mean, Australia always, at that time, they, were, they had obviously serious firepower. Um, a good team. Um, we actually went on to score, I think it was the most in that World Cup. We had the highest That's total right. against them. That's correct. Um, but... I think I think it's it's kind of to be honest it's always it's it's in my nature to especially at that time to be sort of a little bit against the flow and you know just not doing what one probably expects um and it worked it I mean I think I played a lot like that uh played with uh, quite freely um but in that occasion um yeah, you know, to me, there's no point trying to hang around and play it safe um, because if, you, if you're going to win and you need to win, you've got to do a bit of the, the extraordinary. Mm. Uh, so I think that's kind of what happened. And obviously, you know, I remember, you know, going in there and you, you're going to play, you know, the Gillespies and, you know, I mean, the Quicks are there and, and, and Brad Hogg often didn't know which way it was going. But... What I found was that if in your mind you have a very positive outlook, somehow you tend to watch the ball better. Yeah, that, and then the footwork comes and I mean you were just, everything that you did was 
was just amazing. And you know, in the awe in the, in the, in the voices of Ian Healy and the late Richie Benno, you know, you don't often hear them completely um, amazed by, by what the opposition does, but they were just so respectful of you. Um, Jason Gillespie felt that you were the all-rounder of the tournament, you know, in, in the way that you went about your business, which now leads me to a very interesting question, Bludge. How do you respond to the people, and there have been quite a few people, who, who were very, very disappointed or frustrated in the sense that they felt that you were a mood cricketer, if I can put it that way. So when you felt like you wanted to turn it on, <laughs> you certainly could turn it on. And, and the wonderful, the incredible a quote that I have is that when you turned it on, it wasn't just you who was formidable. You were able to ensure that the whole Zimbabwe team then became a formidable team because of your abilities in the field, your, your ability to bowl very quick, and of course your ability with the bat. But it was felt that you, you kind of turned it off and turned it on at will and, and that you weren't always necessarily uh, keen to you know to play to the best of your ability is that an is that a fair statement it sounds like a controversial statement <laughs> <laughs> but i guess this is the nitty-gritty stuff yeah. so i mean i've obviously analyzed myself as well um and the way i the way i see it is um of course um, i had talent and you know i think my first game i was 19 or, or so um I mean, I think I played my first, I played for Mashonland against the, the touring New Zealand side and I was still in upper six at, at Eaglesvale. Um, but what I'd like to say is that I started very early and was very, I'd say, immature. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a difference between talent and maturity. And... And from, from what I see is that, yes, I was playing games, but it was a tricky time as well um, in that there was a lot going around us in our environment that wasn't supportive of what we were trying to do. So, so what, I mean, I can understand how people are saying that, but, you know, when you're 19, 20, 21, 22, and there's a lot going on around you off the park as well, um, you can see how one could behave in more of a survival mode than a than a considered mode, and um, I think that was a, a quite a big part of it. Um, when I when I came to the match, um, I I would say that I always tried my best. Maybe my decisions may have been wrong in some occasions, um, but the other thing I found lacking a little bit was that in the bowling department I didn't feel that we had um, a lot of firstly technical type bowling coaches and secondly for the players that are a little bit different the psychological aspect of the game is probably greater than the physical part and we didn't seem to have that part with us in today's game, I think there's a lot more mental support going on in terms of psychology, how to deal with the match, how to deal with pressure, all these different things. In, in our day, we were still quite raw. Um, 
And I think those things would have made a difference. But I say most international players are making the team when they're 24, 25, 26, yes. 27. Uh, we, we literally, well, we got fired when I was 25. But I had played probably 70-odd games for the country. So I was more than turning it on and off. It is probably to be expected to have a hot and cold effect a little bit if you're an immature player. Yeah. Yeah. and an immature person. Yeah. So I think that's largely what happened because when, when I got to about late 23, 24, I actually started to understand and I think my performances were starting to get a bit more consistent from that time because once you're out there for, for, for quite a bit, you kind of understand what's starting to work and not work for you. So I think a lot of those comments are probably from when I was 20, 21, 22, but from when I was the, the 23, 24, 25s, I think I was starting to put in more consistent performances. And I also think it's very important to understand um, these comments were not made in a derogatory or nasty manner. It was just people who were, you know, desperately wanted to see you perform well. And, and you know, perhaps maybe they felt that you could have spent a bit more time on your fitness and, and things like that. But they were never made. I mean, I, I, I interviewed his streak two years ago. And what he said was when he felt that initially when he captained you, you know, you didn't always, you weren't always necessarily um, as cooperative as what you could have been. But he said that, and it's exactly the point that you alluded to, towards the end of your career. So around about 2003, you you really started to to take responsibility. He used the word responsibility, uh, and and you know the way that you came along in leaps and bounds. I, I just want to focus a bit on that. You, the two of you, you had a bit of a strange relationship, didn't you? It, it wasn't always. Uh, as good as what it could have been? Um, uh, on my side, um, on my side, I didn't really have um, much of a problem with with anyone per se, personally. Um, but, I mean, I can definitely see someone making a comment or something uh, and I would probably take the bait a bit and I'd fire back in my own sort of style, which, which wasn't really understood, to be honest. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, that is one of the biggest things I would say. And I've, and I've learned as a coach is, I mean, I've come across some very talented uh, children at, at, at the high schools who, who actually reminded me of myself. And, 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 and the frustration I had in trying to get them to see the big picture and to understand what I was trying to do, um, very much was like karma for me. It was like, now you, now you get it. Mm. Um, and so I think that's, it was just the way in that I would have responded to certain situations. But I never had a personal problem, um, I think, with, with anyone really. But of course, there would be situational things, things that would have happened or crept up that I probably didn't respond in the, in the best manner. Mm. You know, and, and I mean, as you say, we now are in hindsight, and hindsight is a great thing. You know, but um, it's. I, I also um, remember your stint that you had with the Lions playing uh, T20 cricket, or the I think it was called the Pro 20 in those years, or something. When uh, you played at the Lions, what was that like? Because you now are going into a, a very different environment, aren't you? Where you had a lot more at your disposal in terms of uh, coaches, in terms of support staff, all the things that, or some of the things that maybe you didn't have playing for Zimbabwe. Was that a different experience and environment? Y yes, it was. Um, um, I, guess, I guess the thing is all those franchises, they are pretty professional. You know, they, they, 
you know, they just seem to be looked after quite well. They're not really worrying about anything else off the field, you know. And I think I think often uh, Zimbabweans is that there's so many distractions around us that to focus on that one job that you should be doing properly is quite challenging. But when you enter into some of these other environments, it's almost like there are less distractions around and all the support is there for the guy to get onto that field and do his best. So so I guess that's a bit of what it was like. Um, but the one thing I did struggle with was obviously, I mean, I'm a Zimbabwean through and through. I love this place. It's my home. But when I was like living in Joburg, etc., it's quite a lonely world mm. because the the relationships and the friends that you might have here are not there. Um, it's it's so it's different. But nevertheless, in the cricketing side, I mean, I remember the T Ten. I think I, I had a good tournament. Um, you did. I think I batted about four, and yeah. I think I had the highest average in South Africa for that tournament. Um, which is quite nice as a more of a bowler than a batter. <laughs> but actually, I remember what I do remember in that game is we played Natal the one game, and um, Lance Klusner was obviously on the other end for Natal. And I think I think I I think I hit thirty in the one over off him, which is quite satisfying at that time. Yeah, yeah that's it. Is just one of those that I remember from that. From yeah. that tournament, went yeah. on to Hayward. I remember you you took him down as well. Went on to Hayward, who was very quick, and uh, you taking him on and just you know making mincemeat of, uh, out of him. Um, and it is it it was it was a. I mean, you also had stints with Tasmania and with Durham. Is that something that you unfortunately it didn't go particularly well with either sides because you had a lot of injury problems and I know that Tasmania actually released you uh, a little earlier. Again, Bludgy, you being the person that you are, you love being around people, but you love being around friends. So now suddenly you're playing for Durham and you're playing for Tasmania. Is Again, was that, that was the loneliness a, a big factor there for you? Um, so in Durham, uh, I, was, uh, I wasn't contracted for a long time. I was basically there for a couple of months. I was in between Shoeb Actor left and Sean Tate was coming. So there was a, there was a period of time that I think they were looking for a bowler to to fill in or whatever um i would no i wouldn't say the the loneliness um factor too much because that was a short period of time i mean i did what i needed to um but uh injury injury was um plaguing me a bit at that time and uh, tasmania was 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 a bit different um i went there and basically during the time i was there towards the end of it i was i was kind of having conversations with former Zim cricketers about coming back here. Because I guess I always said to to Tasmania, I always said to them that, um, you know, should the should the occasion arise that I have an option to go back and play for my country, that I'd, I'd like to do that. Um, and so I was having conversations with obviously various people and um, and we said, no, you know, let's, let's try to get back to Zim and try and, pick it up again. So I asked to be released from that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. Just talking a bit about that time again, hindsight, but do you think that things could have been ha handled differently between both parties? I know that um, 
a lot of work was happening behind the scenes by a lot of people to try and get the players back. But we just could not reach that, that common ground, could we? I mean, it, it is such a shame because a lot of people feel that Zimbabwe cricket have never really recovered from that, uh, that in everything that happened. Yes, uh, we seem to be diving into the into the real underworld, yeah. But uh, no, but it's great, you know. It's um, it's life, and and we must talk about these things, I guess. Um, I guess uh, again, I can only speak uh, for myself. But at that time, I was twenty five, and um, you know. There were difficult times in that there was um, things going on, like I said, uh, not just on the on the ground, it was outside. Um, and the the mind, the mentality that we I may have had at that age was very different to now. Mm. But even at that time, you know we thought that um, or I thought that we were standing up for for a principled thing. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting question because I can only answer it for myself. Yeah, but yeah. it was something that I believed. I believed that, I mean, I, mean I, I think we still got, we're still looking at these problems in today's world in terms of, you know, at, at what level do you integrate, call it the rest, less privileged, you know, because that, that's what it seemed to to kind of come down to was that, you know, people always will say, well, we want the best 11 to play. And then you've, you've got the other side of life that says, well, what happens if the guys didn't have an opportunity? How do you... And I don't even have the answer to that mm, question in yeah. terms of how you gel the situation. Mm. Um, but it was, a, it was a pity because we were, as Zimbabwe, as a cricket team, we were doing well. Uh, we were very competitive uh, against any nation. Um, you know, in hindsight, it's very, it was very sad that we didn't... Uh, continue from that time because we had built really good platforms um, but anyway to me it was I guess people people kind of agreed with the notion that we want the best 11 to play regardless um, and that a bit of political work could have been done at a lower level um, so people made that choice and it, it was a pity um, like I said I think I think the young guys probably had less of an idea of what the journey ahead would have looked like and maybe the more mature players and the older players probably had a better idea of how it would pan out um, but everyone made their choices and everyone has to live with their choices yeah absolutely bludge but the thing the nice thing from your perspective is that you were able to come back again and in 2005 you played two test matches against south africa I remember a quite breathtaking innings that you scored in zimbabwe's second innings at Newlands. That was a horrible test for Zimbabwe. Bowled out for 50-odd. The test match done in two days. But that, that second innings, though, when you really took to Nicky Boyer, and, you know, obviously, eventually he got yard stumped, and then you scored runs again at Supersport Park. I was there for that, actually. Um, so I guess, although it didn't really work out, you know, again, that common ground could not be reached. And I know that you and a couple of players were still owed substantial amounts of money. But did you enjoy coming back and, and trying to make it work in, in 2005 and then you came back again in 2010 uh, and played a little bit? Were, were they still, were the times as good then playing later than what they would have been, you know, when you had your established team back in the early 2000s? Um, 
Look, it was different, obviously, because the team that I was used to had gone. And it was obviously a very different team. Um, but but no matter what, uh, for me, it's always been, um, once you're on the field, you know, there's the opposition looking at you in the eye, and that's the enemy, as far as I was always concerned. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I even struggled to have beers after games with, with the opposition, because... <laughs> I don't know, I must be a strange individual, but if they are my enemy <laughs> on Monday morning, I don't think I'd take that, I'd take a long time to recover. So, uh, but anyway, so, no, there were different teams, but again, we had, a, the common cause was how do we, how do we perform as, as best as we can? So, um, that's always been the thing for me, is regardless who I'm sitting next to, uh, you know, as long as we both understand what we're trying to do, and agree, then I then I had no problem with with whoever was playing with me. I mean, I was more probably the outsider because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was the guy that used to be around, and then suddenly came came in from the blue. Um, but no, it, it it was different. 2010, five years after having played, you know. But like I said, Zimbabwe has always been close to my heart, and yeah. it always will be. And I'm always going to be a fighting to try and get the best out of the system. And and now that I'm a parent of um, I've got three boys actually, but uh, my twins are in form two at St. John's. I mean, they've got some really good skills. Uh, you know, I need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Yeah. Um, tell me about your relationship that you had, because I know that, that with two people who really, uh, I think, meant a lot to you, Andy Flower and Trevor Penny. Yes, no, that's good. I mean, Trevor Penny, so th- those were in the days when we had just left school and we were playing Zim- Zim-A cricket. And Trevor Penny was, um, obviously, he was a, a solid player for Warwickshire. But the difference and, and what I've seen is that they knew how to handle my character. Yeah. And this was the difference between a lot of what, uh, coaches and, and players and what I've seen even in my own life as a coach. Um, you're going to come across many different people and therefore you can't, treat them all in a singular way, you know? And, and obviously those two guys could figure out how to get the best out of me. Um, so yeah, that was, I mean, Trevor Penny was great because that was the Zim A team when we sort of warming up for the, for the national sides. And then once you're in the national side, people like Andrew Flower, yeah, when you get, when you get sort of <laughs> the top batsman in the world willing to support you, talk to you about various things. Um, yeah, you feel that, listen, this guy's got my back. And again, I'm that kind of person. If I feel you've got my back, then I'm ready to go to war with you. Yeah. What I found with Andrew Flower is not only was he a very good talker, but he was a very good listener as well, wasn't he? Yes, definitely. I mean, that's it. Uh, he wasn't, you did not hear him making big statements. No. He would be there listening like any good psychologist should so that's probably why he got he got his way in many in many ways because <laughs> he just listened to people but i mean that's what i'm saying we're not taking anything away yeah i mean a great player and i mean a great mind uh, so yeah i really enjoyed Andy. what what so obviously now being an all-rounder you could put your bowling boots on which players international players did you have the biggest so we say tussles with, you know, I know you got Brian Lara out on a couple of occasions in 2003 and uh, you got him out to LBW at Queens and Bulawayo when I made my television commentary debut. Uh, mm. You uh, 
you yorked him as well, didn't you, um, at Harare Sports Club? Anyway, were there any any other batters who, now when you got your bowling boots on, who you had good contests with? Yeah, we were standing at the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's not, so there wasn't really anybody who... Um, I, I enjoyed, I actually enjoyed bowling to the left-handers a bit, like even Ganguly. Yeah. Um, because because of um, because of a, a flaw in my action a bit, to be honest, I used to fall away a bit when, when things weren't going right, although I didn't know it at that time. I was falling away. So when I came around the wicket into the left hand, I had more momentum with me. Um, but when I was coming over the wicket, because I was falling over, my energy was heading towards point. Mm. So I didn't have a lot be- uh, or as much as there should have been behind the ball towards the batsman. So when I came around the wicket, there was more going towards the batsman than the other way around, if you understand. Yeah, totally. So, so what I enjoyed about that is obviously I could, I could crank it up a bit more and also I could put the off cutter when ah. the ball's leaving the batsman. So I had two choices there. One was try and get in psychologically um, and, then, and then of course, I even remember um, against Gilchrist, any left-hander, I mean, I, I, I nicked him off also a couple of times because of the off-cutter, is they have to play the line of the ball. But if you can just move that ball half an inch, then you're in. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. did enjoy left-handers. Left-handers, eh? Yeah. And were there any interesting tussles at uh, at domestic level? I know, for example, uh, there was some really, really good stuff between Dave Houghton and Edo Brandis. Uh, I tell you what, you, you know, there were days when Edo was all over Dave like a rash and then vice versa. Uh, were, there, were there any cricketers who you had these, these contests with as well? Um, like, like, uh, and no one personally that I, you know, that I would say, but the minute I saw a batsman on the other end, that was it. That was it. That was me <laughs> trying to knock them out. Yeah. And sometimes it worked and sometimes I guess they knocked me out. I mean, it reminds me of, I was, I was, like I said, I was, it was actually that, that game as a, as a high school student and I played New Zealand at Alex. Sports club. I was there. I remember that and, three-day uh, game. Yes, and uh, I remember. You know, I thought I was this quick guy from school. You know, but you know, you enter into a different level. And I remember Chris Cairns hitting me so far that, that I thought perhaps I should retire from cricket and take up water polo, and I can't even swim. I remember that I was there, Blitch. It landed right on the veranda where the older people used to sit and uh, and drink their refreshments. I. I remember that when you did take one of your sabbaticals, which you you did you did on a couple of occasions, two thousand and one, you decided to take a bit of a break, and then you focused briefly on male modelling. Now, how did that come about? Do you know? I don't know. There's strange things that happen in this universe that no <laughs> one can explain. But uh, no, you know what happened? I had a girlfriend at the time who was a uh, she was in the hairdressing salon at. Um, I remember there and. Uh, yeah. And the lady, I think, that owned it, for some reason, knew about these local modeling things that were going on. And I don't know, she said, she said I should go there. What actually happened was um, I had a stress fracture, which took me about a year to recover from. So, yeah, so that's kind of what happened was uh, it was after Sri Lanka tour. I, I went on tour to Sri Lanka for the A-team and where I was diagnosed with a stress fracture. And again, this is, is very hard with bowlers and maybe even harder with people like me sometimes to understand is it an injury of the mind or is it an injury of the body? Yeah. 
But, you know, I remember in Sri Lanka, everyone being frustrated with me because I wasn't bowling quick like they thought I should be. And I, I, I remember, you know, the typical cricket banter of you've dropped your lipstick and things like that. And I just, I just wanted to go and do bad things to someone because uh, they didn't understand the pain when you're trying to bowl with a stress fracture in your back, it's uh, it was quite it was very painful actually. I mean, your whole back, your back would really spasm up, and you try not to fall over at the end of the crease. Um, but anyway, after that, I was diagnosed with a stress fracture, the L4, and uh, and and that was me out for about a year. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I remember actually being in a minibus with you, Blitch, um, during the first test against India. So. India won that one and then Zimbabwe leveled, you know, with the neck when you got that player of the match. But you and I were in the minibus and, and you were trying to explain to me, you know, people think that I don't do my best people, uh, but I'm, I'm trying as hard as I possibly can. And none of you guys understand, you know, and, and I just remember trying to, you know, we were both young. I was 24. You would have been about 22, I think. And, you know, I, I just wish I could have spent more time with you and, and to try and help you. Uh, you know, just get that, get that, all, all of those feelings out so that we could get the best of you as a cricketer. And I just remember feeling very, very sorry for you because, you know, you, you were just saying people misunderstand me and they always think the worst of me. And, and then so if people think the worst of me, then why should I perform to the best of my ability if you're always thinking the worst of me? Yeah, I don't know. Whoever said that is a very silly being. It was probably me. <laughs> it, was, it was you, but I mean, you were very young, you know. No, exactly. You so, were very young. So that's what I'm saying is that yeah. um, people change, but um, of course, these kind of frustrations happen. If if you if you're working your best for your company, uh, and and the boss is saying, well, I don't think you're trying. You, you can imagine the frustrations yes. that creep in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's life, but but that's why I say that I think it's critical, absolutely critical that we invest a bit more uh, simply in like sports psychology, because if the mind is going in the right direction, your chances of the body doing the right thing are a lot higher than if the mind is started in the wrong place, and this is and that's why now for me. Uh, the, being on the other side of the coin, being on the coaching side now, is that what is needed? Everyone is busy focusing on how to hit a, a volley, a half, a half volley, and, and and swing the ball or or whatever. But you've got to start in the right place. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and that's the mind. And that's what I'm trying to do, like with my own children at least, because uh, I can control them a little bit. Although they're getting bigger and they're <laughs> starting to show signs of rebelliousness, but. But I have a very good relationship with my children, and they're kind of listening to me. But it's interesting because, again, like I said, I know all the mistakes I made. Um, and, and, and those are the little tweaks I'm trying to put into the next generation. Even apart from my kids, the other kids I've coached, you know, I would like to say that we, we've had some interesting <laughs> discussions <laughs> between each other. Blood, you're not very lighthearted. No, thank you very, very much for your time. It's been a long time coming. Uh, you and I go back many years uh, where we would enjoy a bit of refreshment away from the cricket and obviously I do know that you and my late brother Gary bowled together very nicely, a good combination at Alex Sports Club as well, which I remember. Uh, and if there's anyone who ever stuck up for you, let me tell you this right now, that was Gary Duplessis. He never wanted to hear anything bad spoken about you. So uh, thank you very much for your time and wishing you all the very best with coaching and just being the best father you possibly can be. 
No, definitely. Do you know? I think Gary was a better outswing bowler than I <laughs> ever was. Uh, a great lad. Um, and again, yes. Um, thanks to all those people who who follow you and who listen to this. And uh, just on the Zimbabwean note, right now, you know, I think uh, we got to all get together again and and help support the team and support each other because um, we need to build this thing and we need to make it work. Well, fantastic stuff then by Andy Bluffnote. We need to make it work, which is absolutely spot on. Thank you very much indeed for listening to the Dean at Stumps podcast. And if you would like to get in touch, you can do so by sending me an email on dean.duplicy77 at icloud.com. So uh, very much look forward to your interaction. And don't forget to get as many people to subscribe to the podcast as possible. So we'll be back again pretty soon. I know that uh, there'll be a lot of interaction between myself, Tina Moyo, and a couple of players as uh, we look ahead to the ICC T20 World Cup, which gets underway pretty shortly. Until then, take care. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast, presented by Dean Duplessis. Join us again next week and catch up with all the action in the world of cricket.